Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to America's Home for Stadium News and Information. Stadium's USA Radio. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. Do we have a breakthrough on the roof issues involved in the construction of the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta? This stadium has been plagued by issues surrounding a unique roof design that opens and closes like a camera lens. We'll visit with Atlanta sports historian Jim Weathersby and find out if the new home of the Falcons has crossed the final hurdle. Some of the players drafted in the NFL this week will have the privilege and unique experience of playing in Green Bay's Lambeau Field. What makes this stadium such an incredible football palace? We'll find out from Packers broadcaster Wayne Larrabee. The voice of PA announcer Ray Clay is associated with the Chicago Bulls championship teams. We'll visit with Ray and learn about those incredible pregame introductions. But first, the stadium's beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, Vanderbilt University is asking its fan base if they would attend football games at a hypothetical stadium shared with a Major League Soccer franchise. Nashville is one of 12 cities being considered for a new MLS team. The mayor of Music City is proposing a public-private partnership for a new soccer stadium that would be built on the Nashville fairgrounds. Vanderbilt wants to know how its most loyal fans feel about prospects of holding games at that proposed site. The school has been exploring prospects for a new venue to replace Vanderbilt Stadium, which was built in 1922. Well, the Houston Rockets are pulling out the stops to try and fill seats at the Toyota Center. Prior to this week's Game 5 playoff matchup against Oklahoma City, the team offered beers, sodas, nachos, and hot dogs for just $1 each. The steal of the deal was only offered one hour prior to tip-off. Rockets fans are notorious for arriving late to games. The team, despite winning 55 games this season, finished in the bottom 10 in attendance. The Oakland A's are releasing more information about a new ballpark. Last week, the team tweeted out that a new ballpark location will be announced late this year. Obviously, good news for Oakland sports fans with the Raiders heading to Vegas and the Warriors set to move to San Francisco in 2019. And the greenest ballpark in America? Well, that award goes to Target Field in Minneapolis. The home of the Twins is the first sports facility to receive gold lead certification. Leadership in energy and environmental design recognition means that the Twins have excelled in things like recycling and utilizing digital technology to track sustainability efforts. Bill, that is the very latest. Thanks, Jeff. Is there any city in America which has been making any more stadium news over the last, what, 
two years or so than Atlanta. Man, we've had a change of baseball stadiums. There's a beautiful, magnificent dome under construction there. They're going to be upgrading the uh, basketball arena as well. Just a whole lot of stuff. We're going to take a visit and find out what's going on and get an update from Jim Weathersby, and we're really happy to have him back, and we invite you to check out Jim's online site, The Sports Historian, which traces Atlanta's fascinating sports history. And Jim, it's great to see you back again. Let's go ahead and start with the problematic roof of Mercedes-Benz Stadium, clearly the most publicized uh, stadium roof in America, certainly right now. Uh, What's the story here? Yeah, Bill, it's, it's, it's always good to talk to you, but this retractable roof has become uh, a major issue for Arthur Blank, owner of the Atlanta Falcons, uh, who is basically paying the lion's share of this new Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which will house the Atlanta Falcons games as well as the new MLS soccer team, Atlanta United. But the roof is causing some problems. And the, the, the $1.5 billion-plus stadium was set to open on March the 1st. It was pushed back to June the 1st because of roof problems. Uh, roof problems have continued. It was then scheduled to open for the July 30th match between Atlanta United and Orlando FC. That has now been canceled. And so apparently the the opening date will be August 26th when the Atlanta Falcons host the Arizona Cardinals in a preseason game. But it needs to be open pretty quickly after that because the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic game between Alabama and Florida State mm-hmm. will take place on September 2nd. So the $1.5 billion-plus play toy of Arthur Blank is having some problems. But I will say this, the roof was operational as of April the 20th, yet there's still uh, some major construction issues. And Mr. Blank has said that 2,000 construction workers will be working day and night through August 26, I presume, to make sure uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium opens when it's supposed to finally open. I understand that they have been thinking about, perhaps as an alternative measure in the short term, just buttoning the roof closed and going that way for a time. Yeah, they may have to. Uh, Gary Stoken, who is head of the Peach Bowl, has already come out and said that for the there's two Chick-fil-A kickoff games scheduled September 2nd and September 4th, and the roof will be closed for both of those games. And I'm going to assume that uh, the roof will be closed <laughs> until they finally figure out how to open and close it. The, 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 the college football playoff championship game is next January in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and uh, they've already determined the roof will be closed then. So roof or no roof, uh, they're going to they're gonna keep that thing uh, closed, I guess, um, no matter what. So uh, we'll see what happens. Let's talk about uh, Cobb County. Let's head up the road uh, yeah. from downtown Atlanta, head northward, and uh, the new ballpark is now online. What are the initial impressions you're hearing about it? Everybody loves it so far. In fact, I was out there over Easter Sunday with the family, and it is a beautiful ballpark. It, it seats 41,100, and it, you feel like you're you're right there uh, on the field with, with the players. I mean, there's not a bad seat in the venue. I walked all around it. They've incorporated some features from other ballparks in SunTrust Park, and, and one of them in particular is uh, 
three evergreen trees they put out center field with a water feature, very similar to Coors Field, and that's mm. been popular with the fans. There's also several places just outside the outfield where you can go out onto a deck area and watch the game and, and then have an adult beverage or two. If you're bringing the kids, there's a huge kids area right behind center field with games and a zip line. Uh, there's a kind of a, they call it Monument Gardens. It's inside the ballpark, but it's a, kind of a walk through Braves history going back to the 1870s when the Braves were in Boston. But they, they, they highlight a lot of the history there and some of the, the great players that have come through the Braves organization. And like any ballpark, apparently, uh, in the major leagues these days, there's all kinds of statues, uh, namely Hank Aaron, Bobby Cox, Warren Spahn, uh, Phil Necro. So it's a great area. But what sets SunTrust Park, aside from Old Turner Field, where they came from, a downtown Atlanta, mm-hmm. is something called Battery Atlanta, which is a mixed-use development uh, with offices, restaurants, bars, condos, so that is a huge um, deal for the Braves. They they now have not only the ballpark to get revenue, but uh, the the battery itself is bringing in additional revenue. So the Braves are happy. The fans seem to be happy. And granted, it's only been six home games, but everybody seems happy. And even the traffic is is not as bad um, at um, at SunTrust Park so far. And when Turner Field is only a handful of ways in and out of. Uh, the, the area, but it's, it's at SunTrust, there's 14 different ways to get in and out of the ballpark area, and that has seemed to, to mitigate the traffic situation. And the Braves are smart. They also have a deal with Uber. Uh, just outside the ballpark, there's a huge area for pickup and drop-off. So, so far, all of the, um, the, the fans are happy, and the Braves are happy, and we'll just see what goes on as, as the season goes on. Well, Jim, it's great to visit once again, and thanks for the update on everything going on stadium-wise in Atlanta. And, brother, that's covering a lot of territory right now, and uh, here's hoping that that roof continues to work and they're able to get all the parts and get them all installed. God forbid. I hope to God they get the thing working. In Atlanta, if nothing else, uh, we, we, we like our stadiums. Jim, thank you very much. Jim Weathersby is our guest. His online site is... The Sports Historian. Be sure to check it out. It traces the fascinating history of Atlanta sports. Well, stay tuned now. Coming up, we'll talk stadiums, and joining us will be a guy who knows all about him, the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravee. He's up next on SB Nation Radio. This program comes to you from the Midwest, and by doing so, there are certain things we are very used to as Midwesterners, and one is listening to the voice of Wayne Larravee on any number of events that he has covered both on radio and television, and they are the big ones. The Chicago Bulls, the Green Bay Packers, of course, right now, the Bears. He's had three NFL assignments. Wayne has also written a book called If These Walls Could Talk, a fascinating uh, story, a group of stories. And uh, Wayne, why don't we uh, go ahead and take it right from there? If these walls could talk, what would they tell us? 
<laughs> well, Bill, first off, it's nice to hear your voice again and be on with you. Uh, yeah. You know, our careers kind of dovetailed back in Chicago years ago, probably uh, 25, 30 years ago. But um, Walls was a book that uh, is just kind of a collection of stories of things that happened since I started covering the Packers on a regular basis back in 1999. And they've had a lot of great moments and, and some not so great moments. And, and it's all in the book. I understand the decision to take the Packers job very clearly in my mind because I started my broadcast career in Milwaukee, and I know what a fantastic city it is and what a great sports state Wisconsin is. You had been doing the Bears and had tremendous success, and now this opportunity comes along Put us in the chair with you. You had a tough decision to make whether to stay here in Chicago and continue your successes with the Bears, which you already had going, and up come the Green Bay Packers. Take us into that choice and what was involved in it. Yeah, it's something I talk about in the book uh, extensively, and um, really it came down to, Bill, you know, I had always had as a kid, I grew up uh, as a fan of two teams growing up back east, uh, the New York Yankees and the Green Bay Packers. And being a product of the 60s, those teams are pretty good in the 60s. At least the Yankees were the early part of the decade. And the Packers, of course, were dominant back in those days with the legendary Lombardi team. So, um, you know, Green Bay, back as far back as the 60s, became a national team. And uh, that was the team football-wise I followed. And as my career took on a football, I thought I would do more basketball, but it became – I became a football broadcaster more so, and uh, as my career took that bent, I always said to myself, you know, if I ever had a chance to go to Green Bay and do the Packers, uh, that would be the thing I'd love to do on radio on Sunday afternoons. And, uh, you know, the the opportunity came up. Jim Irwin and Max McGee decided to retire after the 1998 season. Uh, the job opened up, and, and, you know, I was interested in it, even though I had a great job with a wonderful uh, organization and and uh, in the best sports market in, in America, Chicago, Illinois, uh, by far. And I'm a New York guy, so that, to say that, that's saying a lot. Um, so, you know, to me, that that's really what it was all about. It was about kind of, you know, in, in my career, being able to do broadcast for a team that I followed as a kid. It's a unique opportunity. Not many guys get a chance to do that. And, and that was what my uh, whole interest was in pursuing the Packers opportunity. Wayne, let's talk a little bit about Lambeau Field, what a unique place it is, how large it is now as compared even during the years when I would get in there fairly regularly, and it was always a beautiful stadium. Take us inside the broadcast booth. Share that with us, will you? Yeah, Lambeau Field, um, the inner bowl of Lambeau Field was left undisturbed by the upgrades that were made starting back in uh, 2001. What they did was, and it's interesting, Bob Harlan was a very wise president and CEO of the team at the time. You know, he wanted to preserve Lambeau Field pretty much as it was, but needed to upgrade the amenities of it. And, you know, not just the sky boxes, but everything. You know, what they did was they decided the inner bowl was the sanctum of Lambeau Field. It's, it's the same as it was essentially when Lombardi was coaching there, uh, the bleacher seats and everything else, he polled the fans. He asked them, what do you want? Should we put in regular seats or do you want bleacher seats? And everybody wanted the old bleacher seats and they're still there. Now you look up a little higher beyond the stands, those bleacher seat stands, and you see the, uh, that's all the modern stuff. That's all the, uh, 
you know, the, the sky boxes and the huge press box and et cetera, et cetera. And then in the south end zone, this is very different now. There is a whole new section that rises high in, into the air. So that's, mm-hmm. but again, if you were to walk to, into Lambeau Field and just look at Lambeau Field from the field level at the stands and not too high up, you'll feel exactly the way it was when I first uh, did a game there back in 1978 before they put in any of the uh, sky boxes or anything like that. It's a unique experience. It is a stadium that's in a neighborhood. It's in a neighborhood that was uh, built up in the late 50s, early 60s. The homes are still there for the most part. You park, on, in, unless you really want to get close to the stadium, you park in people's uh, front yard. And there's a whole vibe to the place uh, on Sunday mornings. The, the tailgates start early. Uh, they'll start around 7 or 8 o'clock. And as you drive in, you can smell the smoke and, and um, you know, the, the meat cooking on the grill, that type of thing. So it, it's a real different type of feeling. You're not in the middle of a big city. You're in the middle of a neighborhood, essentially. And that's what makes Lambeau Field special. Wayne, there was an interesting story not long ago by an author by the name of David J. Halberstam. You might have caught it. He was talking about the NBA and how announcer positions have moved steadily away from the floor. You cover the NFL beat in general. Are the broadcast positions for you as a visiting broadcaster in most of these stadiums are the broadcast positions as favorable as they were perhaps a generation or two generations ago? Not at all. Um, now, at Lambeau Field at home, we're, we're taken care of very well. Now, we're high up. We're about you know eight stories up, but we're on the 50-yard line of thereabouts, and that was something that uh, the Packers did uh, for us. Now, the visiting um, radio booth is maybe at the 40-35-yard uh, line, which is not bad, but most, a lot of the locations in the new stadiums now, you're angled into the corner of the end zone on one side or the other, and it makes it very difficult to broadcast a game. Um, you know, people say, well, why don't you look at the monitor? Well, sometimes the monitor isn't showing you what you need to see to describe. And, you know, that's the problem. When you're doing radio, especially uh, television's a different story, but when you're doing radio, oh, and by the way, the league takes care of the television networks. Uh, they're all on the 50-yard line and down low. Um, but the radio networks um, are not taken care of. And I always found that to be really puzzling because if you look at the uh, amount of money generated by television, yeah, that's the cash cow of the NFL. But radio, local radio is significant too. The average across the board for local radio is close to $5 million per team. So that's a lot of money when you multiply it by 32 teams. That's a significant amount of money. But, you know, as Jerry Jones told Brad Sham, the longtime voice of the Cowboys, he said, Brad, I love you, but, you know, those, uh, that, that uh, booth on the 50-yard line, that's money. And so the Cowboys broadcast, along with the visiting broadcasters in the corner of the end zone of the new uh, AT&T Stadium. So it's like that in Pittsburgh. Washington is the worst location uh, for visiting a national broadcast in all of sports. Really? You know, you're low you're in the end zone, and it's extremely difficult to broadcast a game from there. Well, Wayne, continued success with this and with your career, and uh, look forward to visiting with you down the road. Thanks very much, Bill. Great to hear your voice, and uh, keep up the good work. Wayne Larravee, a multi-award-winning broadcaster, author of the book, If These Walls 
could talk. Stay tuned now. When we return, we're going to recap this week's stadium headlines. Mark Madoran steps in. We go to the water cooler and we'll talk shop. That is next on SB Nation Radio. It is time to talk shop once again. As always, we examine the week's stadium headlines with Mark Madoran, president and creator of Stadiums USA. StadiumsUSA.com is your one-stop shop for stadium news and information. You can listen to podcasts of our program, test your stadium knowledge at our quiz site, everything available at StadiumsUSA.com. Mark, before the Chicago Cubs ever played a night game, there was a famous picture that was drawn of what the first Chicago night game would look like. And what it boils down to is everybody brought their flashlights to the ballpark. Now, let's wind ahead a number of years, and here it is. AT&T Park in San Francisco is literally lighting up this season to spark a rally for the hometown Giants. This is so neat. What's the trend here, and how did it get started? Well, AT&T Park, the fans are holding up their cell phones with the flashlight app turned on, (laughs) and that's creating thousands of small points of light all over the stadium. A really cool-looking experience. It's known as the Flashlight Rally. It started as a spontaneous outburst from the fans during a game to encourage the Giants to rally and uh, produce some more runs. Uh, It's kind of the modern version of the rally cap. (laughs) Or, as you said, the the Cubs flashlight. Uh, These lights were first noted in April uh, is when they started to do this. We're not sure what fans started. It It seemed to spread like wildfire, kind of like the wave did years ago. Uh, And the uh, fans picked it up to encourage the Giants to rally. Now, based on what's going on the first month of the season, it seems like the Giants are going to need a lot more than flashlights to get it going. (laughs) They've started pretty slowly. They're not having a real good April, and uh, their best pitcher uh, had a freak off-field dirt bike accident. Well, Mark, let's go on to this one. It's still quite early in the 2017 baseball season, but we're starting to see some trends relative to attendance for some of the individual ball clubs. Who is hot? Who is not at the turnstiles? Well, as you might expect, the Cubs are doing really well at the turnstiles. They're in fourth place in the attendance derby right now. Mm -hmm. The leaders in the clubhouse at this point are the St. Louis Cardinals, who have averaged 43,415, which is really terrific for early season baseball. The Dodgers come in at 42,000 in second, and the Giants in third position. The surprising thing about uh, the leaders in attendance are that the Giants always seem to draw well, even though they're not playing well. Um, But Toronto is in fifth spot. And uh, they've had a very, very slow start to their season. But they're drawing exceptionally well, and they're in number five, one spot ahead of the Yankees, who have started off pretty well. Now, the other end of the coin is the Oakland A's. They're, again, uh, trailing Major League Baseball. Uh, They are at 16,683, and they're just about equivalent to Tampa Bay at 16,761. And uh, the commissioner of baseball has said that 
those are his two biggest priorities on a stadium basis that both those facilities are uh, mm -hmm. in need of some upgrade or new facilities. Uh, in third place are the White Sox, who also uh, are going through a rebuilding year, but they're up in the 20,600 range. So they're 4,000 on average ahead of where Oakland and Tampa are. Now, the surprise on the bottom of the list is that the Cleveland Indians, who were really had a great year last year. They had one bad inning in November, as I remember. Mm -hmm. That, But that bad inning cost them the World Series. But they're fourth from the bottom. They're wow. only drawing, at this point, 20,700 per game, which is a pretty slow start. Uh, just above them is Minnesota at 21.7. But as you noticed, those are northern cold-weather cities, and you can get some pretty nasty weather in April, and that will hold your attendance down. So I expect the Indians will come up from that, uh, that spot quite a bit as the season goes on. Mark, the spotlight is on Atlanta's Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We spoke about it earlier in the program and that roof that they're trying to fine-tune so that it will work properly. But one thing we didn't mention is what's going on out in front of the stadium, a new piece of sculpture that's going to be very visible for fans when they attend the new home of the Falcons. This is impressive. Fill us in. Well, the Falcons are putting a sculpture out in front of the stadium. It, it's absolutely incredible. It's massive in its size. The uh, piece is made of stainless steel, and it's uh, actually a sculpture of a falcon. It weighs 73,000 pounds. Holy mackerel. So it weighs about the same as one of those big 18-wheelers you see on the road. <laughs> That's how big it is. Uh, it was created in Budapest. It stands 41 and a half feet tall. Mm. So basically, that's a four-story building, mm. and it's 64 feet wide. Yikes. So it's an absolutely massive piece of uh, artwork. It's absolutely gorgeous. You go online, you can see the pictures of it. Um, it's going to be the largest bird sculpture in the world, and uh, it'll greet the Falcons fans right in front of that Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The Falcons fans will see it for the very first time when they open the preseason there, August 26th. The next events that are probably going to take place at that stadium are the two college football games scheduled for September 2nd and 4th. Well, Mark, I hear the strains of Frank Sinatra ready to start singing any moment here. That means we're going to wind back the clock, hop in the Wayback Machine, and look at some important dates in stadium and ballpark history. And uh, there used to be a ballpark where the field was warm and green. This week in 1941, a baseball traditionist born at the ballpark, the first organist played at Chicago's Wrigley Field. Organist Ray Nelson plays the first pipe organ at the friendly confines. And of course, mm. we know that in 1941, they had no night games, all day contests. <laughs> this week, 1984, 60-mile-per-hour winds in Toronto postponed the Blue Jays games at Exhibition Stadium against the Texas Rangers. The game would be played the following day. And speaking of Exhibition Stadium, it's the focus of our this week's Stadium USA trivia. So we're going to focus on that ballpark for today. Mm -hmm. Also in 1984, another incident took place in Toronto that marked the last time a Major League Baseball team forfeited a game 
by pulling its players off the field. This week's question for you, Bill, and you're on a hot streak, so the pressure's on you. Why did Orioles manager Earl Weaver yank his team off the field during a game at Exhibition Stadium? Was it A, because of poor playing conditions on the field? Was it B, because the fans were throwing debris on the field? Was it C, because Weaver felt it was too cold to play? Or was it D, because Weaver felt that the bricks that were holding down the tarp were a hazard to the players? Interesting. I have done games out of Exhibition Stadium and Brother on a Windy Day right on the lakefront. Uh, That is an open place, and I can imagine just how rough that could be. Based on what I remember of the ballpark, my guess would be, and it is a guess, that uh, Weaver pulled his players because of poor playing conditions on the AstroTurf. That is an excellent guess, Uh but unfortunately... (laughs) Not correct. <laughs> what the was correct it? Correct answer is that Weaver felt that the bricks that held down the bullpen tarps were a hazard to players in the outfield who might have to run into foul territory and make a catch. The umpires refused to remove the bricks from those tarps, and Weaver ordered his Orioles team off the field. Major League Baseball awarded the forfeit to the Blue Jays. There you go. The streak is over, ladies and gentlemen. We'll have to start a new one next week. Mark, thank you as always, and this time I'll be ready next time. I'll tell you, we have to sometimes go deep in the archives to find a a question to stump you, but we got one this week. Yeah, you did very well, Mark. Congratulations on that. (laughs) Coming up, the man whose booming baritone voice ignited Chicago Bulls fans during their championship run. We're going to visit with public address announcer Ray Clay in good voice. You might not even recognize him. That is next on SB Nation. Radio. If you happen to watch any video of the legendary Chicago Bulls teams during their championship years, part of the experience was the amazing introductions and the kind of introduction we take for granted really was pioneered by the Chicago Bulls. And a part of that was a public address announcer whose voice we have all heard many times. His name is Ray Clay. And uh, Ray and I go back a number of years, actually preceding his work as the Bulls PA announcer. What a pleasant experience it is to catch up with him again. Ray, you pushed your voice to the absolute limit. Are there nights when you walked out of the stadium where you just felt totally shot? Oh, I definitely did. And the next day I up at work and it'd be like don't talk to me for a while (laughs) some hot tea or something to get my voice back in shape i'll bet you back-to-back home games were really rough for you you know actually the funny story about that is when i first started doing the bulls i didn't know how to get around to the you know the media room and things like that and i would go to the concession stand and get something to drink while i was announcing the game so i might get a 
a Coke or a seven up or something like that. And they'd throw some ice in it and I'd bring that to the table. And that's what I would drink while I was announcing through my work at UIC. I had met a couple professors who were in communications. And I had mentioned that to one of the gentlemen. I said, yeah, it's really hard because you know, I, I sit there and I announce and then, you know, my, my voice gets really tired. He says, well, you know, what are you drinking when you're announcing? I says, well, I buy a Coke at a concession stand. He goes, is there ice in the Coke? And I go, yeah, I, I like cold Coke. And he goes, that's the worst thing for you. He said, that helps constrict your vocal cords and make them a lot tighter. That's like, you know, when your muscles, when you work out a lot, you ice your muscles down. And that's basically what I was doing to my vocal cords. And he said, you know, that's the worst thing you can do. You should drink lukewarm or room temperature water. And I've been doing it ever since. You worked in both the old building, the Chicago Stadium, and the United Center. You know both of these facilities quite well. Sitting at courtside as a public address announcer, why don't you compare and contrast these two buildings a little bit and the experience of watching professional basketball in each? Well, the old building was like the the Dark Ages. We had a, a matrix board with... Uh, red, green, and blue lights that they would flip back and forth, and they would turn the lights out. It would just be basically the noise of the building. And, you know, as you knew from working in that building uh, with the the mighty stadium organ that they had for the hockey games, you know, they had special baffles up in the ceiling. And it seemed like all of the noise and, and the way the building was built, it was sort of vertical. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like all of the noise went straight up to the ceiling <laughs> and bounced off of those baffles and came yeah. right back down at you. It was really a loud experience. When they opened up the United Center, they had to spend quite a bit of time on fine-tuning the sound system. And they had both staff members that were in various different parts of the building with sound meters. And they were trying to fine-tune the amplifiers so that they were able to surround everybody with the sound and try to make it similar to what people heard in the old building. The new building, though, with all of the technology and the boards and everything, and gosh, some of the things that they're doing now, it's amazing. When Michael Jordan finished his Bulls run, of course, he played elsewhere in the NBA for a period of time, Washington certainly. I wonder if that posed any problems for you, Ray, because it's one thing to broadcast a guy when and to go ahead and introduce a guy uh, when it's home team. It's another thing when it's a visiting team. But in this case, Jordan's performance was so transcendental. It sat on top of the game itself. I would imagine that posed some very difficult decisions about how to do this. Can you speak to that? Well, 2003, to be exact, was, uh, I would say probably, well, I I wouldn't want to say it's my downfall, but it was the end of my career with the Bulls when Michael was coming back to as as a member of the Wizards to play against the Bulls, and it was his first time back in the stadium. You know, somebody asked me, you know, how are you going to introduce Michael Jordan? And, you know, the first thing that popped into my mind, just, you know, being Ray Clay the fan, was, well, God, this is the greatest basketball player ever to step in this building. 
and probably the one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Sure. You know, a statue out in front. They're going to announce this guy, you know, as they always did. And, you know, all of a sudden I get a phone call going, well, you know, who are you to speak for the Chicago Bulls on how you're going to announce Michael Jordan? He's a visitor, and you're going to announce him the same way that we announce our visitors. It sort of took me back a little bit that, uh, you know, that the team really wasn't going to go out and, you know, introduce him and give him the full bravado. Interesting, Ray. Just hearing you say those words, I know who it was who called you, and I am not even going to mention his name, but I, it yeah. sounds exactly like uh, much of what I heard uh, during my years with the Bulls. Uh, some night we'll have to sit and uh, have a long conversation about some uh, fascinating memories. Ray Clay, our guest and uh, long associated with those fantastic Chicago Bulls teams and a guy with one of the strongest voices in sports. That is our program for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Bill Hazen inviting you to come on back, be with us next week. Meantime, we have a full day of sports coverage ready and waiting for you right here on SB Nation Radio. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.